Hello and welcome to the podcast, Love, Life and Loss. This week, you will hear Elisa's story. Elisa is a co-founder of Black Baby Loss Awareness Week and the first ever Black Baby Loss Awareness Week is this week, the 15th to the 19th of May, 2023. And so it's only fitting that we hear Elisa's story. Listen as Alicia talks about her passion for what she does and why she does it. Baby loss is highest amongst people of colour and yet we are the least likely to access support. Alicia has her own lived experience of what it is like to lose a baby when she lost her son in 2018. And now she supports other families that look like her. Alicia is a force to be reckoned with and she is on a mission to improve the quality of care for women of colour and their babies. And I, for one, feel honoured to have met her and listened to her story. So please join us. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Love, Life and Lust. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this today, Alicia. I've been so excited to hear your story so if you'd like to introduce yourself, let us know a bit about you and what you do. Okay, very happy to, to, to do that. And thank you for having me. So um, yes, my name is Alicia Burnett. I'm a registered midwife. I've been a midwife for, I think, around 18 months now or so. Um, and I am the founder of Black Baby Loss Awareness Week. The reason I started Black Baby Loss Awareness Week is because I myself am a bereaved mother. Um, coming back from maternity leave after having my daughter in 2021, I started to work for a baby loss charity. And primarily, my job is to take phone calls from Black and mixed Black heritage women who have had losses and are pregnant again, or they've just had losses and they need someone to talk to, or they're currently having a loss while they're on the phone to me. And a narrative that was really, really common and very reoccurring was that the women that I was speaking to were not aware of the support that was available to them. And it was actually lucky that they were on the phone speaking to me at the time. So they weren't aware of the input they could have had that could have potentially prevented their loss or the care they should have got during their loss and the care they could have received immediately afterwards. So that is what drove me to create an awareness event that raises awareness within black communities of the support that is available when you're having a loss, when you've either lost a pregnancy or you've lost a baby. Um, we have the worst statistics. We have the highest incidence of miscarriage, stillbirth, neonatal loss. So it should be the case that we are the most aware of the support that is available. It makes absolutely no sense. It's unjust that we're having these experiences, but we do not have access to the care, either because we don't know, because the care is not targeted to us or for whatever the reason is. That is why I've started Black Baby Loss Awareness Week. Wow, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for doing this because I was one of those mums. I left the hospital with a box and with leaflets. Um, and the only charity I spoke about was Chip Sands. And at the time, during lockdown, I did not find them very helpful at all. Um, so this is one of the reasons why I started the podcast. So for people who need support, because I, I found it really, really hard to find support. And I actively looked and I did find it really, really hard. So thank you. And if you do find the support, do you see anyone that looks like yourself? No, 
I have, exactly. uh, yeah, no, I haven't yet to. I think I, I in the end, I found one support a um, charity that specialises in um, bereaved parents, mm-hmm. and if I can think, and this is this is group counselling as well. I don't think no, I can't think that there was any anyone else that looked like me in that group. No, I don't think there was. And that makes the whole thing a lot even more lonely. The fact that you've lost a child, nobody wants to talk about that with you anyway. It's a very hush-hush thing. There's a shame attached to it. So you can't necessarily talk to your friendship group. You may not be able to talk to your family and the support that is out there. You don't see anyone that looks like you. So why would you access that? And it just makes everything so much harder. Being pregnant, it's a strain on your body. It's a joyous experience, but it's also a strain on your body. When you lose that baby, you don't get to bring them home. Your body's already depleted. And then you have that emotional toil that takes a toll on you again. And then you're not able to access support. Like, how are we supposed to survive this? I'm sorry. How are we supposed to be functioning members of society? I've been a ghost. I've been a half person. I've been a zombie for such a long time. And it's only having my daughter that has like brought me back to life. And I never knew. I wasn't sure that I was ever going to be able to have another child. So you just walk around living this you're alive, you're breathing, you're living, you're grateful to be alive, but there's such a huge part of you missing. Like, it's almost like, what's the point? Like, why am I here? What is my purpose? And that is why I went back to my midwifery training. So I lost him in May, 2018. I went back to my studies in September, 2018, because what else was there for me? I didn't see my purpose. I didn't see why I existed because I was no longer... I was no longer his mom. So I went back to my training <clears throat> so that I could help people and have a purpose, have a reason for being here. And when I had my daughter, she reinvigorated me. She brought back that sense of purpose. I'm somebody's mom. I matter. And I want people other people that have been through that experience to know that you matter. You don't have to have another child to matter. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to. And that I wish I'd found that out and figured that out sooner because it really preoccupied my days, my months, yeah. my years. I lost my son almost six years ago and I just have been living a half life and I don't think I had to. If I'd had the support, I had the input around the time that he was sick and the time that he died. But after that, you're just left to get on with it. Yeah. Everyone's like, just. Oh, you're strong. You're all right. You can deal with it. Exactly. Yeah. And if you, sh- if you show any like sign that you're still grieving or thinking about it, they get annoyed sometimes. It's like, yeah. why are you reminding of, us of this? You're not, you're not the only one grieving. Stop bringing it up for everybody else. And you're like, wow. Wow. And I would try and talk to other people about it here and there. But you've got to be so careful because you might be re-triggering someone else or you might just get a really negative response that shuts you down for another, what, six months to a year or more. It's just like you're carrying this grenade around with you and anything you see on TV, social media, anything someone says to you could set it off and you just explode and everyone's looking at you like, what the heck? <laughs> What's wrong with this mad woman? But you're not mad. You're just sad. You're sad and you're yeah. grieving. 
and nothing can take the place of the child that you lost even if you go on to have more children nothing will take their place nobody will take their place they're with you forever that was so rambling I'm so sorry no don't be sorry I'm, I'm I mean, obviously no one can see me but I'm sitting here nodding my head to everything you're saying because I can resonate with everything that you're saying literally and, and that's one again one of the reasons why I started the podcast because I found it so uncomfortable to talk about my son so I, I create the space where I can talk about him and feel comfortable doing it and no one's judging me for it in fact they expect me to do it so mm-hmm. I have this space this is for my son and I can talk about him and, and all the other babies as well and so I invite people into this space to feel comfortable to talk about their babies as well because I know how important it is and it is and it, it is one of those things that as patronizing as it sounds if unless you've been through it you really don't get it you mm-hmm. really don't and it does it does help to talk to other people that have got similar experiences because for one, they don't judge you in the same way. They want to hear your story. They welcome your story. They give you that space. I like to say, I've created a safe, comfortable space for people to speak. And it is so important. And like I said, if you don't know about the support out there and you don't access the support or there isn't support to access, you don't have those people to talk to. And then you, and if you don't have a support network in your own life anyway, what do you do? And even, even that support network can still be difficult to talk to, your friends and family. Can still be very difficult like you say people and I say this a lot during the podcast but people find that think there's a timeline on grief and there really isn't there really yeah. isn't and like you said it just triggers all the time I, I'm watching tv and I mean even just last night my husband went to put something on the tv and I, I read the narrative and I said I can't watch this because I know my heart can't take it because mm-hmm. it was about a child going missing so I said I don't want to watch it yeah so I do I do get it Becoming a parent anyway, I, and I believe that, not everybody holds this belief, but I believe that when you're pregnant or you find that preg- you're pregnant with a wanted pregnancy, a pregnancy that you want to continue, if you're a mom or you're, or you're a dad, I don't care. It doesn't matter if someone else considers your baby to be a ball of cells. You want that pregnancy, you're pregnant, you're a mom, you're a dad, whatever. If anyone else thinks that's fine. Just keep it to yourself, though. When, yeah, when yeah. somebody loses a baby, it's so it's not okay to be like, oh well, you know, it's, it was early. It's fine. It wasn't really a baby anyway. Would you like? Would you like a slap? Because you might just get one. Because I don't. It's like we put so much emphasis on the fact that it's not a fully formed baby that's in your arms going coochie coochie coo. That it it doesn't matter then. That child doesn't matter then because it's not what society thinks of when they think about babies they think about babies in a a specific way and pregnancy they're not quite a baby just yet so if you lose a baby before they've been born does it really count and that is just so inhumane it's a way of thinking about things and it's just I wish it would change but I know it's not going to change anytime soon so that is why it's so important to have communities and to have things like your podcast where you can actually talk about your loss whenever it was yeah whatever stage of pregnancy however many years ago you can still talk about it and it's okay there's nothing wrong with you no and it's nice and people do I mean I've had there will be one lady I'm gonna actually I haven't gone live with her yet but her son would have been 40 this year Yeah, so, and it's just, but it's nice to hear different perspectives and hear people's journeys, especially mm-hmm. if, you, if you're at the beginning st- stage of your journey. It's very dark. It's a very dark place. 
we need to know as human beings, there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. And when you hear somebody who's 40 years down the line and they can tell you their journey, then you know that yeah, it's never going to always be easy, but there's, there's light. There is light at the end of the tunnel. It gets, it gets brighter. Hope. We need hope. We yes. need hope because the minute we're told that there's no heartbeat or there's nothing more we can do, there is no hope there. There's no dark. It's just darkness. Like you said, it's so dark. Your mind goes so dark and you're just numb. So yeah. if you can, if someone can provide hope with it. And another thing, the leaflets, we can't read right now. <laughs> yeah. You want me to fill this, fill out this form? I'm sorry, my hand's not working because my brain's not actually connected to my hand right now. Someone just flicked a switch, and it's all just darkness. I can't make like decisions about things like this. Give, take back your green form. I know I've got to, someone's got to fill out the form before we can leave the hospital together. But you know, just ease me up. <laughs> yeah, I find it. I, that's one something that really frustrates me. And I'd love to be able to do some work with it in the future, but it's when you're in that moment and we all know we're all educated people now we all know what trauma does to people and how it is how it affects your mind mm-hmm. but yet they expect you to make serious informed decisions in that moment mm-hmm. how on earth can they justify that i don't know that is when hopefully you have a support network someone that's knows what's going on and can be with you and take the form and fill out the form and go to the registry office or wherever it is they need to go I thank god I had my partner because he did all that he did the running around because I couldn't I didn't want to leave my son I wanted Mm. to know where he was at all times who's watching him is he okay is he safe even though he wasn't with us anymore that that protective instinct does not go away doesn't go away and I think professionals healthcare professionals any kind of professional needs to be more sensitive about mm-hmm. like we use phrases like the remains of pregnancy or pregnancy remains that's somebody's baby somebody's yeah. baby so we need yeah. to be more sensitive about how we care we're still caring we're still caring for that those babies even after they've passed it's not just solely focused on mum and family it's also still caring for the babies I'm just telling you, all of my thoughts, unfiltered. <laughs> That's one, what we love. One day I'll learn to, like, I don't know, tame everything. But for now, because I'm so passionate about this, because I've lived it, and I work with women and families, birthing people, partners, grandmas, granddads, aunties, uncles, who've been touched by baby loss, it keeps the fire going. Yeah, so I am very candid and thank you for letting me be that way oh listen I would change it for the world and keep that fire don't ever let that fire go out because we need people like you we really do it's it is I mean black people are at a disadvantage in every aspect of life literally I've done the research I've looked at the the statistics we are it's it's shocking I cannot believe that even this day and age that it's still how how, as bad as it is Uh, but what I find more shocking is I mean, okay, I will be honest, and there is much more happening recently, but I feel like that's individuals making those things happen, not the things like not people like the government and NHS and things like that, because we know we're at a disadvantage when it comes to baby loss and when it comes to childbirth, but we don't know why. Mm. Why don't we know why? We, it, why are they not putting more effort into finding out why? Needed. Yeah, yeah. Target. We just know that we need more research, but are we going to fund that research? Mm. Not if it's by done done by people that look like you, 
and this is the thing also if you and even if you do fund the research and if you're not inviting people that don't that look like us into that then it's still not having the same effect you, you we need to represent our community and england is a very diverse community so that's how we should be representing it and i've that i've interviewed i mean i i interview everybody and anybody in my podcast but one of the things when i'd interview people women of color it always comes up the same issues always come up so and i've said i want to do a panel a panel podcast where we have different people and we talk about our own issues our own experiences and what's happened but as professionals as well and what we can do about it and how we can improve that so that's something to come in the future so i'll, I'll, I'll keep your mind for that if you're interested what you need to do is hold a conference that's what you need to her face. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm still in the beginning stages of all of this. I'm like, like I said, I've, I'm three years down the line. I lost my son three years ago. It was his um, an, his birthday and anniversary a couple of weeks ago. And mm-hmm. so it's taken me, it's taken me a long time. I had PTSD and anxiety after losing him. So it's taken me a long time to be able to function again. Is the best way to put it. Like you said earlier, this is why I was nodding so hard when you said about surviving I literally had a conversation with my husband the other day and said I've been surviving for the last three years I now want to start living yeah because it's it, you, you it is you go into survival mode and it's just the basics and getting out of bed is difficult let alone holding a conference <laughs> so baby steps <laughs> absolutely what was your son's name Zion beautiful Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful name for a beautiful boy. Yeah. So, so the way I've, I've done this in the past is I have asked everybody to tell their story and, and, and to start from the beginning and, and however that looks for you. So for me, I've, I've had seven pregnancies. So I started from my first pregnancy. Um, so I'll hand, hand the floor to you if you want to tell us your story from, from your beginning. Okay. So from the very, very beginning, um, I was a student midwife in 2017. The beginning of the course, they told us, well, they advised us strongly, just finish the course, don't have any interruptions, particularly don't get pregnant because when people get pregnant, they don't tend to come back. So a couple of months into the course, I got pregnant. I don't listen. I don't listen. Um, my The beginning of my pregnancy was fine. There were no issues. But at the 12-week scan, we found that he had... Um, quite a large like we call it a fetal anomaly so basically um there was something he's very poorly basically he's very poorly and I was given the option to terminate his life to end the pregnancy um and I just I couldn't I didn't want to I already loved him I was already his mum I know that that's the right decision for a lot of families, but it wasn't the right decision for us. Um, we were offered something called a called chorionic villus sampling, so CVS, and it's a procedure that. So they gave us what they thought was they gave us a diagnosis that they thought it was, but they wanted to do further testing to confirm it. And I okay. was okay. Um, so basically, they put a very 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 long needle into your abdomen, and they take samples from your placenta. And okay. that can they, be quite painful, can't it? They gave me um, lidocaine injections, which was that was that was painful. So they gave me injections in my abdomen before they inserted the needle, and they had to like use the ultrasound to view what they were doing, and you could see him on the screen, 
you could see him almost like watching this needle come towards him and watch him swim away from it. And my my partner was like, listen, this boy, this boy, he, listen, he's a fighter. We have to give him a chance. I already decided that I wasn't going to terminate. And that was just like, like the cherry on top. Look at him. Look at him already. 12 weeks old. He's what? Do they even have legs at 12 weeks? I don't even know. But <laughs> <laughs> he's just showing his mum that I'm ready exactly ready to take it on exactly so I continued my pregnancy it was fine there were no other complications loads and loads and loads of scans lots of visits to the hospital um because of his complication I needed to have a c-section it wasn't going to be safe to have him vaginally and 10 days before I was scheduled to have the c-section my waters broke spectacularly in the kitchen flooded the place a slit fell over oh wow very dramatic phoned my mom screaming mom the baby's coming my voice of god because there was all of this build-up we had to have appointments with surgeons we knew like when he was born he would have to be taken away straight away to be stabilized and then emergency transported to um there's this service called cats Children's Acute Transportation Service. So children that are extremely, extremely unwell and they can't go in a regular ambulance, they get transferred to specialist services by cats. So we knew that we'd hardly get to see him when he was born because he'd be whisked away to Great Ormond Street. And that is what happened. Um, Got into theatre. I was actually in labour, starting to labour. And they were like, Mm-mm, this, this lady needs to have a C-section as soon as we can. So um, got in the ambulance, got to the hospital, they put me on the monitor. I was starting to labour. Got seen by a consultant maybe four to five minutes after I got there. The consultant took a look at my notes, took a look at me, took a look at the CTG and the tracing that was showing that I was contracting. Said, okay, you need. we need to deliver your baby within an hour. So I phoned my mum and mum was like, do you want me to come? I goes, no, mum, it's fine. And I sat there on the gas and air, just like, I remember when he said we needed to deliver your son within the hour I just started crying because I was like this this isn't what I wanted everything was meant to be planned out yeah so I called my mum back and I was like mum actually can you just come and she couldn't come to theatre with me but just knowing that she was there mm-hmm. made me feel a bit better and my mum's not a very affectionate could coo person but um as I was being wheeled to theatre she grabbed my hand and kissed it I was like oh this lady's worried about me I'm so I'm worried about mm-hmm. you so had my surgery as they took him out I heard him cry briefly my partner stood up looked over the um drapes to have a look at him and then he took him into the room to be stabilized and he kept running to the door like peeping to see what was happening in there while they were working on me um then I was transferred to recovery to recover from my c-section and my son his name's Micaiah his name was Micaiah that's a lovely name he was transferred to Great Ormond Street with my partner. So they went off together and I was at the hospital where I'd actually had him trying furiously like to get all the, to move my legs again. I was trying to wiggle my toes and trying to lift up my legs and just trying to get the feeling back so I could get up and go and join them. Yeah. And I remember when you've had a, when you've had a baby, they want you to pass a certain amount of urine just to make sure that all your, everything's working before you're in good working order before you can actually leave the hospital. And I couldn't pee because I'd had a catheter in and it was really sore. And I was drinking so much water just to try and like make some urine so I could pee into this jug so you can look at it and I can go home. I drank so much water, I made myself sick. Oh, no. Just, 
I wasn't 100% fit to go, but I knew my son was having surgery and I wanted to see him mm. before he had it. I wanted to meet my boy properly before he went to theatre. So, <laughs> walking like John Wayne out of the, um, <laughs> the labour ward, because I was just so sore, but I wasn't, nothing was going to stop me. I must have looked crazy because the cab that pulled up to take us to Great Ormond Street was like, no charge, just get in. <laughs> really? <laughs> Oh, that's that's so nice to hear, though. I must have looked in a bad way. Uh, so we got to Great Ormond Street. I got to the... He was in PICU. So PICU is Paediatric Intensive Care Unit because there were no beds in the NICU at the time because everything was planned. There was going to be a bed for him when it, we were actually... The day he was supposed to be born. But, of course, nothing went to plan. So they just found him a bed in PICU, went in there. And I was just like, are you sure this is my baby? Because, you know, when... um. Not all black babies are born with their melanin already. So he was extremely mm. fair and had this straight black hair. And I was like, are you sure this is the right one? I didn't really get to see him properly before he before he was taken away. And his name was on the board. It was really nice to see that his name, the name we'd chosen for him was already written on the board. And he had all the tags on that said, like that he was a burnet so I was like okay this must be my one he's gorgeous and that's when I met him for the first time long fingers long toes just cute so so cute but so so sick so so unwell oh and that how so how was that for you as well because obviously that's not that's not how you normally would meet your child for the first time is it having to go to a whole other hospital before mm. you've you're meeting him, and you just and you basically just given birth to him. But so how was that for you? You know, I don't really remember. It was just he was here. He had made it. He'd survived the. Oh God! Every time I had a scan, they were like, "She's aware that there's an increased risk of stillbirth." Every single report, they would write that, and oh, so I wanted to check out the reports to see like how what his growth was doing, and every single. I know it's like a procedural thing; they have to do it but it's like, it's like a knife to my heart every time reading that. So the fact that he was born in the first place, born alive, was like, we're winning, boy. We're winning. Yeah, yeah. Good job. Yeah, so, I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the language around pregnancy and birth can be really, like, really wooden. And it's almost like you're not talking about lives being born here. So, yeah, really hard to read that. So when I did meet him for the first time, I was just happy that he was there and got to see what he looked like. Because I knew he was going to be cute because I caught a few glimpses of his face <laughs> on the many, many scans that we had. So he stayed in NICU for his whole life. Different procedures being done. Tried breastfeeding, but breastfeeding wasn't safe for him. Oh. And he lived for six months. I did all the reading I could do to find out about his condition, but there was nothing written about a child that had survived for six months with this condition because it just doesn't happen. People used to come and visit him. My mum was there multiple times a week carrying the shopping because we were living there. So they had accommodation for parents. So we were only about five, ten minutes walk away. Um, and she used to bring us food. I used to breastfeed, not breastfeed, sorry, express milk for him in the accommodation and bring it across so it could be fed into his tube we used to have cuddles lots of skin to skin I remember my mum oh, asked when are you not gonna stop that he's four months <laughs> old now we're we always naked 
<laughs> I'm glad that you had that. So I was just about to ask, did you get to have cuddles? Yeah, because why not? Just because he's in hospital, why not? Why shouldn't he have all the, the fancy clothes and all the frilly frillies and the little toys? Why not? I didn't, I had a, actually, do you know what's interesting? So my daughter's, my daughter's godmother is actually sitting on the bed as I'm talking to you now. Um, we're going to Nando's after. Hi, Ali. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hi. <laughs> we were student midwives together and she threw me a surprise baby shower or mother blessing. So all the girls in my class at uni, they had like a, a mother blessing for me. There was food. They bought me presents because I wasn't planning to have a baby shower because, as like I said earlier, every scan they'd remind me that there's a chance he might not even survive the pregnancy. So I didn't buy him any clothes. I didn't start to arrange my room. I didn't make any preparations for bringing him home. But I did share what was going on with some people at uni and Ali was one of them. And she made sure that the fact that I was pregnant with a child, that I was going to be a mum was marked in some way. And I'll never, never, never forget that. That was the kindest thing to do because all my family was like, oh, well, you know, you don't know that he's coming home. You don't know you're going to bring bad luck mm. onto yourself if you do anything, if you buy any clothes, it's bad luck. So it was nice that I got that normality. Yeah, because it's we can be superstitious people, but it's, it, in, with hindsight, it's a beautiful thing. And you look back and think, you can't really we can't change what's going to happen can we so try and make the most of it while you can exactly and while he was alive that's certainly what we did he had music therapy we used to dance with him he liked Michael Jackson and Aretha Franklin put him in the cutest clothes my brother likes to do photography so we had a little photo shoot in Niku the way they were looking at us like oh wow this has never happened before there are lights they've got lights and stuff and (laughs) and I was like yes because and I'm really glad I did it because I have those mementos now. Mm. I have those those reminders, those nice pictures of him for the short amount of time that he didn't need oxygen or didn't have tape on his face and stuff. I have those pictures. I could see his face properly mm. because for a lot of the time he had on um, breathing apparatus on his face. Sweet little face. He's just so yummy. So yummy. So, so yummy. And I remember after he passed when I came home, I could just like, just about close my eyes and I would see him sitting on the chair. I missed those days because I could just see him so, so vividly, so clear, the little rolls in his arms. And I think every parent should get the opportunity to see their child in the best way. Even if, like we say, they're not born in the best condition. I don't even like that phrase because it's like, again, I don't think it's the most humane language. I think every loss should be as dignified as possible. So if you know that a woman is about to lose her baby, you get the basket ready. You ask her, what would you like? If she's in any, if she even wants to converse with you, you give her options of what, um, I don't know, blanket or what hat or whatever it is. Mm. You make it as dignified as possible because those are the memories that stick with you and stay with you for the rest of your life. It's not just, yeah. then, as I said before, they're not just the remains of pregnancy. And I also think we need to do a better job of giving parents an option of taking their baby home if they want to perform a burial at home or whatever it is. I wrote an article recently about the placenta and I didn't know you could take your your placenta home and bury it. I didn't know that was allowed. And I also read that if you wanted to take maybe 
if you've had an ectopic, if you've had a miscarriage, you can also take the baby home. It's just for <clears throat> us as professionals, because I'm a midwife, to know what's legal, what isn't legal, and if to make something legal, what what kind of things need to be in place to make those things happen. Because especially if you've had a loss before 24 weeks, what memories do you have? What mm. what do you have? You don't get any certification. If you're not even given the option of home burial, what are we leaving people with? If we're not even signposting them to support services, like you're just causing trauma upon trauma. Yeah, I, that that happened to us. My son, according to the doctors, he was 22 weeks and five days when um he was born. And I only just found out last year that I could have taken him home if I wanted to. But I was never given that option. And I would have taken him home because it was in the middle of lockdown. That only my, my husband and my sister got to meet him. Well, my husband didn't even get to meet him while he was still alive. Um, but I, I, he had sisters. And I would have taken him home to meet my sisters and his nan. And I know for some people who are listening, that might sound bizarre, but it's not for everybody. Mm. And everybody should be given that choice because you don't get to make those decisions again. No, no. And this is the thing. And it's, um, I'm 100% in agreement with you. It's like, I even thought about, should I go into advocacy? Because I've learned so much since losing my son. I've taught myself, should I say, I've taught myself so much that now I probably could be somebody's advocate. I mean, I've been in a, dealing with a hospital complaint for the last two years. Um, so I've literally read research papers and all sorts. Um, because there's so much, there actually is quite a lot of stuff out there, but you don't even know. I mean, I, I've come across consultants, senior consultants, that don't even know about some of these research papers, which I've blows my mind. But, you know, so what, what's going on? Why are we not sharing this information? It's like baby loss. If you imagine like a big, flaky, crumbly chocolate chip cookie and that's been dropped on the floor and everything's just gone psh, all over the place. All of this stuff is so fragmented all over the place that it, I kind of feel like it's made impossible for one person to know it all. It's mm. just, there's no connecting of the dots people aren't working together to create I don't know a guideline a humanized compassionate caring guideline that's like if this happens families should be offered all of this and there should be like but if they want this they can also have that it should be super customizable mm. and it should also take into consideration cultural differences religious differences different family makeups you know and it's just it's like the system isn't particularly great at if you're if you get to take your child home if you if you look like myself or like you it's not even that great at caring for us when we're having healthy pregnancies and get to take our kids home so it's not all that surprising that when we when things go super wrong and we don't get to take our babies home or we don't get to go home ourselves that the care isn't great there either it's like you're failing us we're failing us when our pregnancies are successful and you're failing us even worse when they're not and it's like what do you do but something needs to be done there needs to be more joining of the dots and collecting every single last crumb of that cookie and putting it together in one place where families that are bereaved can go and that is kind of what I'm trying to do I'm trying to create a hub 
where if you've had a stillbirth, moan of pregnancy, chemical pregnancy, neonatal loss, and they're shoving that paperwork at you and you're just not ready, here is where all of the resources from all of the different services, all of their stuff is here under easy headings, where you can just click on and find, okay, this applies to me, that applies to me, that doesn't, I don't have to look at it. Because when they ask you to sift through all of mm-hmm. it, and all you want to know is if you're eligible for maternity pay, that's all you want to know. But you don't want to read through all this other stuff. So that is what I'm trying to do also, as, as well as having the awareness week. Yep. It's a big well, job. It's it a is big... a big job. It really but, is. And I, I admire you for it. But I think, I think I finally found what I'm meant to be doing. Because I, I've lived through it. And now I've been put in a job where I listen to women that are going through it. I listen to, and do you know what? sometimes you get partners calling on behalf of their parent or on behalf of their partner who can't get out of bed who won't talk to him who won't even look at pictures of their baby and he doesn't know what to do he's like I want to help her but she won't talk to me what do I do and I want to be able to signpost the partners as well I want to be able to I've had moms I've had grandmas of these babies call and say my daughter won't talk to me I don't know how to help her I've had losses myself but she won't she thinks I'm just making it about myself but I'm not I'm just trying to show her that I understand and she can't hear me so I I really I really need I need to do this it's not a I would like to it's not a a pet project it's a it has to happen (laughs) there's no choice about it because people are suffering Mm -hmm. and if this would anyway makes it better like I'm I'm game I'm game for the eye bags I can do it I can do it I'm gonna get there eventually yeah no honestly I I'm sitting there and smiling because I, I I can resonate with you so much it's so it's so unreal I'm actually in the process myself for building the website mm-hmm. um just just so I can have a page for support Mm-hmm. So and I, just like you have, so it's easy to access. So it's for different areas, and it gives you the basic information on there. So you know if it's only just for the local area that they support, or exactly. things like that, or what type of loss they support. But it's just all on one page. Well, from what I can find anyway, because I'm not, I don't know everything. But from what I've found, I just want to put it on one page, so it's easy for people to access support. To just go into that, go on that, and they can see it, and that's it, done. Because say I spent years trying to find support, years. So, and I don't want people to be in that situation. Not everybody wants support. And there's different types of support as well. I'd love to, I'd love to be able to offer like a holistic support. For me, yoga, yoga was a big part of my healing process. So I had to mix mine up together with a bit of talking therapies, a bit of yoga and exercise. But just one of those things on their own would never work. And that, I mean, I'm still, I still need therapy. <laughs> but, you know, it's the, I, it's the yoga and things like that that really helped me more than other people and, Talking therapies aren't always for everybody. Sometimes you might need group work. You need to speak to people that can that have been through it or got similar stories of lived experience. I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah, it's definitely not one size fits all. And even, I don't know, family sessions, I think would be a great idea because it's not just the woman or birthing person and their partner that person had a a mum that baby has a grandparent has an aunt has an uncle who are all going through it at my son's funeral 
I've got a uh, younger brother. He's not the most emotional kid. He's he doesn't like conf doesn't like confrontation. He's very easygoing, and he was crying at my son's funeral. He loved my son. He loved his nephew. And I'm pretty sure, thinking back, that he could have benefited from talking to somebody. Mm. My mum could have benefited from talking to somebody. I remember watching her weep over his body. My mum doesn't cry. And the crying, I've never heard a person cry like that before, is pain. You could hear the pain in every single breath that she took. She could have benefited yeah. from, from counselling. She really could have. Yeah, because it's not just... It's not just pain of losing a, a grandchild. It's it's the pain that she knows that her daughter is having to now endure and she can't do anything to protect her. Mm. So it's all of that on that. And it does, it does, it affects the whole community. And friends as well, if you've got close friends, it affects them. Because even if they don't get to meet your child, they 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 still see you suffer. They still see you going for that, don't they? And it's one of those things you don't know what to do. And I always remember, it was very clear for me. I remember my um, one of my best friends had passed away a, a month before I lost my son. I remember feeling so helpless in that in that month um, and wanting to do stuff to try and help support the family. And I was going on Amazon and trying to buy all sorts of things to send to make life easier and do all sorts of stuff just to, just to do something. But it wasn't until I lost my son that I realised that everything I did before to help my friends and their family was to help myself. Because it so. wasn't to help, yeah, it wasn't to help them. Because in reality, I knew now I know that I could, there's nothing I could do that was going to help them in that in that moment. Mm -hmm. It was to make me feel better. Felt like I was doing something and I felt better because I remember after thinking, oh my god. All these people sending me flowers and doing this and doing that. And actually, it's not for me because it doesn't make a difference. It's to make them feel better. And I was like, oh, I was that person. That was me for years. It's hard. It's like we're part of this community now of, we're kind of like, I don't know, not mole people, but <laughs> we're like kind of invisible because baby loss isn't something you can visibly see. Mm. Unless you tell somebody, they're never going to know. Um, but when you find each other, it's like you've been scrabbling around in the dark, and then you put a hand out and you feel somebody else. And like, oh, I'm not alone anymore. And I really think that's what that's definitely what you're doing with the podcast, and that's what I hope to achieve with the awareness week because I want to put people that are scrabbling around in the dark in contact with different support services. And what's interesting is a number of them are coming up with initiatives that are actually targeted at black black families which mm. I'm very keen to speak more to them about because I want to know like how did you come to this yes it's needed definitely but how did you know like what was it that brought that to your attention that that's actually a need that needs to be filled congratulations but uh, share the secret <laughs> mm. what was it that got your attention so everybody can know everybody can do the same thing and get the attention of every single organization and the government because hats off to everyone that raises awareness of um the disparities in black maternal health uh, but i would really love for the same amount of attention to go to the fact that we lose our babies at a higher rate as well yeah yeah because i feel like baby loss in general is like 
it gets forgotten about because it's almost like babies are seen as like replaceable or a replenishable commodity they're not commodities they're not they're not I don't know chickens or something or crops they're not crops we don't grow them for the benefit of society we grow them because we want to expand our families because we love them it's the thing that you want to do with your partner you know it's a natural instinct but we're not they're not cattle they're not replaceable there's not much value I don't know if there's enough value placed on the fact that on babies it's a woman thing as well I don't think there's enough value placed on things that affect women but I want society to see that it doesn't just affect women it affects the entire family network the what the extended family our friendship groups it affects productivity at work maybe if we frame it that way that if you don't pay more attention to services and care following baby loss it could affect the bottom line your bottom line the economy maybe if we frame Mm. it that way I don't know what we need to do because it's not bad it's not enough that we're like literally dying over here grieving our hearts out it's weird (laughs) (laughs) what what do you want I know I know it really is I just feel like are we are we are we really in 2023 or is it we still 100 years ago because it does really need to something needs to change something needs to happen and it needs to happen quicker than what it is happening there's lots of we've thanked god for social media and things like that because there's so there's lots of stuff happening that way but like i said we want someone official doing something mm. someone who you know who's got the money to to back what they're doing and to do it because how, i don't know how anyone can justify that people are uh, people in this day and age in this country are at so much risk mm-hmm. and, it, and and even with that risk like you said it, it's then it's the support afterwards or the the lack of support afterwards Mm. and understanding as well I mean and it's just but it's in so many different pockets it's not just I mean I've experienced I experienced three miscarriages and a neonatal death so I've seen the difference on how I've been treated my miscarriages they didn't expect they didn't treat that as anything Mm. in fact I remember the first miscarriage when I went to the uh, doctor's I knew that they wouldn't be able to do anything. And I don't, so they sent me home and come back for a scan the next day. And when I went to the woman, um, I think I might be having a miscarriage because I've had some blood. And she was like, well, you know, your version of a little bit of blood and our version of a little bit of blood are two different things. And then when she scanned me and saw that there was no heartbeat, then she, then she, then you could see she felt bad. But I'm like, well, show your compassion beforehand. Mm. Why do I have to wait until my baby's dead before you want to show me compassion? Even when I went into early labor with my son, I was told by three different doctors, three different times while I was on my own, that you're in layman terms was basically going to have your baby and he's going to die in class as a miscarriage. And that's what I was told by three different people on while I was on my own. That's what I say about they've given you this, expecting you to take on this information when you're going through such, something so traumatic. They've just told you your baby's going to die. And then they expect you to listen to everything else they say after that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's not good. It really isn't good the services that they offer, and then and then I've I've had a rainbow baby after losing my son as well, and then what I went through, I I almost lost him. Mm-hmm. I, if I hadn't had such a voice, mm-hmm. I probably would have lost him, and that's again that's because of the research that I've done. I've had to go out and find out for myself what I'm entitled to, what I'm not entitled to. So, yeah, I've literally just spent the last three years fighting, fighting. Well, I say three years, but last two years because the first year I couldn't really do much. But um, just fighting, fighting everybody. So this is, again, why we do the podcast. 
because I don't want people to have to fight like I've had to. And if they are fighting, here you go, listen, you can get some information so you know what your rights are. Absolutely. Hmm. I think becoming a parent anyway, it you're not you're not on steroids, no. I don't want to say that. But you become a bit like fiercer. You become more fierce, you become a bit supercharged. But if you lose a child, take that ferocity and magnify it. Magnify it by a thousand. And you get you and you get me. <laughs> you get you get these people that are just like ready to roar. Mm-hmm. Ready to roar. But equally it can do this, it can do the opposite. Losing a child can put you in a box that you stay in for the rest of your life. Unless sometimes you can be brought out of it with the right support. Sometimes it's a permanent state. But I'm hoping mm-hmm. that we can reach the people that we can help. Unfortunately, for some people, it literally is just like game over, the end. It really changes their personality, yeah. changes everything. But I'm hoping that with what we're doing, we can reach the people that we can reach and get some get people that can change things to actually listen. Yeah. Would it be okay yeah. if I just quickly not plug, but yes, plug the um <laughs> the Instagram handle for the awareness week. Yeah, of course. So I'm gonna be I'll be reposting it for you, don't worry. But yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Um so if it'd be really, really helpful if anyone listening could follow um on Instagram at Black Baby Loss Awareness. And you can also follow my Instagram page, which is at midwife underscore Alicia, because I'll be sharing things on both platforms about what's coming up next week. Um I can't believe that my own awareness week starts next week. It's been a lot more work than I could ever have imagined. How did you how did you even start this? And by the way, I will I'm gonna put the links on the podcast as well when I go live too. Thank but you. how did you start this? Because this seems like a huge mountain to me. Like where did you start? <laughs> so as I said, I work for a baby charity and I started that in January and the same kind of questions were coming up over and over and over again. And then I started looking at the statistics. I'm very familiar with the, the statistics around um, black maternal health, but I hadn't looked into the statistics around our babies. And when I did, I was like, whoa, whoa, what's happening here? Um, and why do why doesn't everybody know and why is nothing being done? Why is nothing being done to raise awareness? I know that um, when statistics and reports are published, there'll be a bit of buzz in the press for that week. And then it mm. disappears. But another, not something else will come out. There'll be a bit of buzz in the press and then it will dissipate. It's like, mm, no, because this is clearly an issue that's continuing. It's very pervasive and it's been happening for a long time. And everyone that I speak to on the phone, it's affecting them. Every shift I have, I'm speaking to somebody new that is affecting. So what can I do to erase awareness of the fact that services like the one that I work for and other services out there actually exist? Because the fallout from losing a baby and having no support is catastrophic it can impact any future pregnancies you have it can prevent you even pursuing any future pregnancies Mm -hmm. it affects the wider family network your friendship circle it affects everybody so um how did I start I started by having the idea to do more than I was able to do as one single person I wanted to create an awareness event that will raise awareness within the black community of all the services that exist it was initially going to be a day but um, someone I just I mentioned the idea to was like, mm, why not a week? I said, because I don't know how to do that. 
<laughs> I don't know how to do any of this stuff. I just know that it needs to happen. So it went from being a day to being a week. And then I came up with five different themes. So they're why Black Baby Loss Awareness Week matters. Because the first thing you do when you put black in front of anything is like, why does it have to be black? Why do black people need this? Why do you have to have your own yeah. thing? Why don't you just join whatever else is happening? Because clearly it's not reaching us. Clearly it's not working for us. Because So we need something that's targeted. And it also looks at cultural aspects of grief within the black community. Um, do you know what? It's hard because I know what, I know what my community is like, but I also know that black people are not just one big lump. We're all different. Yeah. You have different cultural nuances, different ethnic identities. So I don't like to, um, I don't like to bash my people, but I'm also very honest. And there are like barriers to us accessing care. Like you're sad, go eat some cereal. Like yeah. go, go do yeah. something productive. Stop wallowing. And that is a cultural barrier to us actually accessing help. It's, it's talking therapies. What's that? You, yeah, gonna pick someone at the you top don't need that. Listen. Yeah. Like, okay, please. If you don't understand. I, I, even my own husband. He's, oh, yeah, wow. he's, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I find like, particularly men, black men, babe, this happened to both of us. I'm going to see this, the psychologist. Why don't you come with me? All right, I'll come with you. You know, she's really struggling, you know. I just, I don't know. I'm trying to talk to her. Can you please help her? I'm like, yeah, okay. I've been coming to these sessions. What about you, sir? I'm all right. <laughs> you're like, no, you're really not. You're really, really yeah. not. I'm fine. I don't need to talk to nobody. I have to deal with it. Yeah, that's what I get. Yeah, and it's just like, so I want to talk about the cultural aspects because there's a real reticence to talk about loss. Super, super, super reticent. Like, And it's kind of looked down upon. It's looked seen as kind of shameful. And as much as I don't want to bash my people, I've got to be honest that that has been my experience and it has been the experience of many other women that I speak to. Um, I also want to cast a spotlight on the support services that are available because when I when I'm at work, I'm telling people that you can access this, 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 and this. Like, oh, I never even heard of them. So I want to use the awareness week to put a spotlight on the support services that actually exist. And then we're going to talk about how to actually talk about baby loss. That's going to be a recurring theme every year. But this year, we're talking about um, baby loss and talking about it with your employer because. And it was my experience too that you I didn't tell anyone at work. I didn't tell anyone at work until I had to. So I couldn't get any support prior to that point because nobody was aware. And I didn't know that it could affect your if you don't disclose, you can't get the help. And I but I'm okay. also aware that a lot of employers don't have clue how to support someone that has had a baby loss. They don't know what they're legally obligated to yeah. do. And they're not always that sensitive. Either because, I don't want to say it's because they don't care, because I don't want to put that on anybody. But um, sometimes not knowing how to say, I'm so sorry you lost your baby. How can I help? This is the help that you are entitled to as my employee. But I also have my discretion. And I can also give you additional support if you need it. Knowing how to say that can be very, very difficult. So this year we're focusing on baby loss in the workplace and we're going to split it into two. The first half is looking at um, if you've had a baby loss before 24 weeks, because you won't necessarily be entitled to maternity leave or maternity pay. However, you are entitled to pregnancy related sick leave and sick pay. But a lot of women don't know that. A lot of families don't know that. A lot of employers don't know that. 
So we need to make that apparent. And then also looking at the support that's available if you lose your baby after 24 weeks. We were going to do it in one whole hour, but that's just, it still wasn't enough time. Yeah. And there's too much yeah. to, to cover bereavement, bereavement. Um, You can get payments from the government to cover bereavement costs. So funerals and things like that can, can contribute to those costs. I didn't know that. Very interesting. When you, being bereaved can be very expensive. Yeah, yeah. A major toll on you financially. And there are different avenues of support available, but they're not known about. And because they're not known about, they're not accessed. So you want yeah, to I didn't know that at all. As well. Yeah. I think I accessed it when I lost my son. A lot of the stuff that I did after he died is like, just gone, gone, gone yeah. out of my yeah. head. The There's like little things like I found out recently that you could you can claim um, child benefit I think up to three months I you can after That's losing a baby yeah. yeah I didn't know that either you've got to again paperwork you've got to send like copies of the death certificate and all that stuff so that does come into it and that can be quite hard to do but um, yeah things like that is what I want to cover the practicalities of losing a baby before twenty four weeks and after twenty four weeks. And then the final day is talking about life after loss because um, you're there not here anymore, but you are. Mm -hmm. And you have to find some way to move forward. But one of the things we're focusing on this year is commemoration for pregnancy losses before 24 weeks. So I mentioned earlier that you don't get any sort of acknowledgement that your baby was even here if you have what they class as a miscarriage that is earlier than 24 weeks but in Scotland you can now receive not everybody wants this but for people that do you can now receive a certificate that commemorates and acknowledges the fact that you had a pregnancy that ended before 24 weeks and you can take that home and you can live wherever you want it to live in your house oh that's really nice that's really nice because that's for me my son my son was born alive and he survived 47 minutes so he you know, then end up having his own birth certificate, his own death certificate. But that's what, for me, was so important mm -hmm. because because he was born alive and he survived for as long as he did. It's now, I know already, I, I, I've been treated differently because of mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And well, some by some people anyway. Um, but, and he's, he's recognised now, although I've had, like I said, I spent the last two years fighting for his life to be classed as a valid life. But mm -hmm. he's on record now mm -hmm. he he existed whereas he always existed mm -hmm. but without him being born breathing and so he wouldn't have had that birth certificate or death certificate I wouldn't have had that official record for that because for me that's so important because I always think and I'm long gone if my mm -hmm. great 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 grandchildren want to look me up and they can see that I had four children mm -hmm. you know so mm -hmm. they will still see that because he's on record but yeah. without that you don't have that do you and yeah. it's still just as important you may, you might just have, and even that's even if people recognise it enough for them to think to send you a condolence card, a lot of people probably wouldn't. They feel awkward to as well, don't they? They think, should I, should I not? I don't know what to do, so I just don't do anything. Exactly. So you could potentially end up with, like, literally nothing. But I say that that's happening in Scotland. It's not happening here yet. So I'm going to draw attention to a petition that's happening. And I'm going to be speaking to um, the Miscarriage Association that were doing some campaigning to achieve the change in Scotland. It wasn't just a change achieved by them alone. 
it's been a very long, hard-fought battle by many, many figures in Scotland. But I just want to draw attention to the fact that that has happened in Scotland and hopefully it will give people hope for the progress that's also happening in England for the yeah. same time. Because that's, I mean, it's just, it, for them, it's nothing. It's a piece of paper. Mm. But for the person they're giving it to, it means so much. So just, why won't you do it? Just do it. And I know it's not the right option for everybody, but for people that want it to be an option, it should be an option. Just like if people that want to take their babies home, it should also be offered as an option. Yeah, well, that is, it actually is an option, isn't it? But they don't always tell you that it's an option. And that's not even just like a spite thing. It's literally like, we're not taught that. We're not, that, we're not covered, that's not covered at uni. Like this, this, the nuance that's missing is those little intricacies, those little finishing touches. Care can be quite, these are the basics, but you need to delve a little bit deeper, especially when it comes to bereavement as what else can you do? Not, yeah. it's not just okay that, okay, unfortunately baby is now deceased, but mum is alive can't just stop there can't be the fact that she didn't pass away too it's got to be like what support is in place what did you do at that time to make it to do everything you possibly could give her all the choices because there's no do-over nobody wants to redo that yeah that's the thing you that's okay if it happens I want it to be the one time nobody wants to keep reliving it and especially when women have current losses like yourself it's like things aren't getting things aren't better what are you doing to those women's mental health? Mm. And this is the thing, and that's the that's the thing that upsets me the most. They don't take into account your mental health in a- every aspect. Even say when when, when you're during your pregnancy, after your pregnancy, after if you experience a loss, if you have a rainbow baby, that that journey. If you have a complaint, that journey. Like it's, so you need to take into people's mental health, and that they expect from you to be. You know, you've got set timelines. If you want to complain, you've got to complain within this time frame, and you've got to make sure you include this and you include that. Else, we're not going to consider it, or it's going to delay the process. And so, but then they can take as long as they like to respond to you, and but they don't they don't care about the impact it's, it's having on you because to them it's not. It's a job. But to you, it's your life, and it's just what you've gone through. So they don't. There's so many areas when it comes to the mental health that they don't take into consideration. And I'm really, come on, let's be honest with each other. There isn't it going to be any point, really, for anybody who's lost a baby that it's not going to affect their mental health. Everybody goes through it. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Even the ones that say, no, I'm fine. They're going through it, but they yeah. not even have the language to express that. They might not even realise it. I, I suffered anxiety, and it took me a while to realise that it was anxiety that I was feeling. I just kept, my hands kept shaking every time I hung up the washing and I didn't understand why. You know, and the PTSD, I, I, I joked about having that and it turns out I did. No, do you know what? I don't tell anybody this stuff, anybody, but you're super hyper vigilant afterwards. You're like waiting for something bad to happen because the worst mm-hmm. has already happened. The amount of times I couldn't leave the kitchen without checking all the knobs where all the gas was off over and over and over again. Like, go out, leave the house, lock the door. Did I lock the door? Coming mm-hmm. back multiple times. No, stop the car. I need to check the door that, that the door's locked. Because you're just living on, like, a really heightened sense of everything. Everything's like, getting your back up. Every single thing. Mm. Am I going to be able to cross the road and not get hit by a car? What if I get hit by a car? And you live past yeah. your life. It's so stressful. 
It, it, and, and that's so true. It really is. And and, and then the stress, then it, it manifests physically as well in your body. But it is, I, I remember that doing the same thing. Every time my children screamed, I would panic so much. I had two daughters. They screamed for fun. But I was there panicking, you know, fearing for their life every single time. I, it literally, last night, I was just thinking to myself, that was probably one of the first nights that I've gone to bed because I have to check on my kids every night when I go to bed. I have to, I have to make sure that they're breathing. I have to hear at least two or three breaths before I leave them alone. And then, but what I do is, this is so bizarre, that when I close the door, in my head, I'm like, fire door, keep shut, fire door, keep shut. And I have to make sure all the doors are closed just in case we have a fire so it can contain it. I've done fire master training. So I'm like, it can contain it there for at least half an hour. But then in my head, and I'm, then I'm feeling bad because why am I thinking that there could be a fire? Am I going to jinx it? And now I'm going to have a fire because I'm thinking there's going to be a fire. And it just escalates. Absolutely. That is, and living like that is so exhausting. So exhausting. I think I should have accessed more care than I did. I should have. I think I'm okay now. Mm. After having my daughter, so my daughter's my rainbow baby. Would I let anyone hold her? <laughs> tell us tell us about your your journey with your rainbow baby if you've got time. So, um <laughs> I got pregnant in 2021. February, March must have been because I had her in October. Pregnancy wasn't straightforward. So I was actually in hospital for six weeks with threatened preterm labour. Oh, wow. Um on bed rest I used to lie on the bed so the bed was like tilted so my head was down towards the ground and my legs up in the air mm, actually <laughs> actually <laughs> I've read some research since like that doesn't work but hey it works for me um she stayed in there so around was it 25 or 26 weeks I was admitted to hospital and they were talking to me about like it's like reliving what happened with my son again she might need um, a catheter in her in her in her umbilical cord we're going to keep it long so they can put a catheter in there so you can give her drugs she's going to be really tiny we're going to have to put her in a in cling film and take her away straight away she's going to need this 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 and that we're going to give you this drug so if she's born now her brain development won't be affected and I'm like oh my god really this is really happening to me again mm-hmm. luckily she stayed put and was actually born uh, at 41 weeks oh wow yeah. oh wow had to be induced in the end this little girl <laughs> she's she better be great she better be like a world leader <laughs> because she's given me so much aggro before even getting here but after she was born got to bring her home stayed in the hospital for three days because I was really unwell like badly I bled a lot I lost like almost half my blood volume oh, I was wow. wiped out really weak I had to have like four blood transfusions really scary time in fact, actually, I remember I was bleeding out. I knew I was sick because I couldn't put my head up. I was just groaning. And I couldn't even lift my head up to see where my baby had gone. And it's only afterwards my partner showed me pictures of him holding her. That's I know I don't have any regrets about having a traumatic birth with my daughter because I know that she was okay. I spoke to him beforehand and I said, listen, when she's born, I want her to have skin to skin. If it's not with me, it has to be with you. He remembered that, took off his shirt and they lay there together for what? Oh. Two hours or whatever it was while I was in theatre. So I don't oh. have to that she was alone and didn't know that she was loved. She had her dad. He was there. Um, but when we got home, 
I was very protective of her, even from him. Like, I didn't want anyone else to carry her, pick her up. I didn't, I just didn't trust anyone with her. Even now, like, she's 18 months old and she doesn't go to nursery because I just, I'd rather my mum looked after her or mm -hmm. her grandma just because, you know, I, I just, what if she's lonely? What if she's sad? What? <laughs> And it's me. I know it's me. <clears throat> we do take her out. She does get to interact with other children. <laughs> she doesn't leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> she does, but I'm just so like super anxious, and I just I wish I could make that go away. I don't want that feeling. But I, I and I know that other people that have brain babies, they go to nursery. It's fine. Everyone's fine. Everyone's. I went to nursery. I'm fine. But I just want to get this right. I didn't get a chance to be a parent for this long last time. So I want to do it right. When it was her first birthday, she's one. I think her pool party. She's not going to remember that. Oh, I know. You, you, you'll learn. Don't worry. You'll learn. No, I've learned. When my five-year-old told me she didn't remember going to the zoo the other week. I was like, oh, you've been loads of times. I'm not doing nothing with you now until you're 10 so you can remember. <laughs> but I just went all out because it was a milestone that I hadn't hit before. And I used, all the milestones used to be like really huge. Like when, oh God, I was really bad before she turned six months because my son died when he was six months old. And that was like, I was like, Godzilla, is she okay? No, the mm. room has to be this temperature. We need both night lights on. You're breathing too hard on her, get off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I've mellowed out a lot, but I still have to like get through the whole taking it, the separation, man. Is being away from her for what six hours? I don't know. I don't know. I'll get there eventually, but it's not happening anytime soon. School is going to be an issue. Yeah, just thinking that you've got a few years though. You should be all right. <laughs> or maybe you can homeschool. <laughs> oh, 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 no, no, that's okay. That's like... Parents that homeschooled, I salute you because I don't know how you did it and didn't just put a Mr. Tumble all day. <laughs> yeah, no, I, oh. I couldn't do it. My my son goes to nursery, but he does only go part time, whereas his sisters went full time. Mm -hmm. So I'm a bit like that. I've gone a little bit, but mm -hmm. I have my mum has him two days a week for me as well. So having like a family network, like parents and stuff that could, or grandparents, just because you know they're 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 related, they're going to look after each other. You just feel mm -hmm. a bit more secure. Although yeah. they spoil them, my mum spoils. She has ruined my son, I might say. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, the good thing for me was when I sent my son to nursery, I'd already had two children go to that same nursery and it's still uh -huh. the same staff. So I know them and I feel comfortable with them. But had that not, I might have felt differently. I remember I didn't sleep for the first four months of his life. Imagine. I literally just stayed awake the whole time watching him. Mm. So I do know what you mean. It does get easier. It does. That hypervigilance. Yeah. We, I, I want to talk about that more as well in future um, awareness weeks because it's a totally a thing. Being pregnant after loss, mm. oh my gosh, you catastrophize everything. Couldn't sleep before scans. Ooh, but you can do things to like build your armor and make you a bit less susceptible to absolute panic or despair. And I want to yeah, in the future because it does have a. Um huge impact I definitely impacted me 100% I remember the air because it, it, so it takes away that that barrier doesn't it you've lost a baby 
the worst thing in the world has now happened. So you don't, you no longer have that barrier as to say, oh, but it, you know, it won't happen to me. Mm. What happens? To, that happens to other people. It won't happen to me. And that's an ignorance that protects us normally. Mm. But that once, when, when the worst thing in the world does happen, then it's anything can happen. Anything is possible. So you don't have. So everything's scary, basically. Mm. Everything's scary. Everything everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel I feel it's so good to talk to you today, though. And even when you're telling saying all these things. You're still fighting. You're still striving. You're still going forward. You, and, and you're still looking after everybody else as well. Mm. I have to. Um, it's made me so much more community minded. Like, I'm not as selfish as I used to be. I'm kinder. I have more time. I have more patience because that's what he taught me. He taught me all those things. In the short time that he was here, he really changed who I am. Mm. Really did. Yeah. They do. They do. They have that impact on you, don't they? Yeah, and it's um sometimes I think it can be yeah, that doesn't feel like it at the time, but when you come out of the darkness a little bit, it does see that it can it can enlighten you in a whole new way. Like I feel like I've opened up parts of me that have never been opened up before. Like mm. I've definitely changed as a, as a person, but I don't think it's a bad thing. No, it's not. You're reborn. Yeah, 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 and that's how I feel. I mean, I actually feel. People probably think I'm mad, but I do feel so much more spiritual and so much more connected, much more connected with my body as well and more in control of my body, even though I probably, probably because I've had, I've had to lose control I've, where, where after losing my son and with the, you know, anxiety and PTSD and everything else, I lost so much control. Mm-hmm. It's learning how to then regain that again and then it, it enlightens you even more, I think, to how your body works and your mind. I feel like we're not kind of like I was gonna say I feel like we're not human anymore, but I feel like we're like I don't know, part angel or something because we've got that connection to somebody else that's somewhere else. We've got our angels, haven't we? Yeah, always with us, always, always, yeah. always. Yeah. On that note, I think I'm gonna say I think your angel. We're very proud of you right now. Oh, thank you, thank you. I hope so. It's all for him, man. It's all for him and all the other babies that I've lost, that we've lost. We do ev- everything we're doing, we're doing to commemorate and to honour them. And that's like the most righteous cause you can have. Yeah. It's good. We're just, I don't know about you, but I get that, that fire, that mm-hmm. passion in my tummy. And I just, even though when I'm working full time and I, well, the kids are sort out, and I'm I'm shattered. But I'm still sit there, and I'm just doing all this and doing my research, and everything else to try and put stuff together. Because suddenly, I've got all this energy again while I'm focusing on these things. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So, but yeah. Thank you, thank you so much for agreeing to do this today. And we will be going live next week for Baby Loss Awareness, Black Baby Loss Awareness Week as well. And I will put the links in for your Instagram pages as well on the um podcast as well. So, is, is there anything you'd like to add just before we leave? No, actually, I think we've covered a lot. I haven't spoken about these things for years, but um, thank you so much for having me, Louisa. No, oh, thank you for coming, and I hope you. I hope it's uh, you feel good for talking about it as well. I do, but make sure you have somebody to speak to as well, because I do say to everybody, it is it is a deep topic and it does open up things again. So you never know; in a week's time, you might start feeling a bit flat. So, thank you so much. Thank you for. You're very right. It's very heavy, and it can bring up a lot of feelings. I think I'm well supported. 
thankfully. Thank you so much, Louisa. Good. Thank you.